We'll be looking at a number of passages today, but if you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, I think that would be as good a place as any. Listen, if you would, as I read several passages from the New Testament. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Then from Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then in Romans 4, the beginning of verse number 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Do you hear a common theme, a thread through all these passages? It is hope. Paul wrote at the end of his thoughts on love, we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. As I said last Sunday, it is possible to have faith without love. It is possible to have hope without love. It is not possible to have love without faith, without hope. Because as Paul tells us, Love always trusts, love always hopes. So the beginning point is love, not faith and not hope. This is not to negate faith or hope. They remain, Paul tells us, these three remain. And while they require love, they do in fact remain. Today I thought, as we have done a series of meditations, that I would present to you matters for you to consider for meditation on the matter of hope. What is hope? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, we find it is a desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment, an expectation with confidence. Another has an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or in the world at large. As we start, I want to begin by establishing two foundational truths. The first is, we are to be guided by scripture, not dictionaries, a biblical understanding of what hope is. Acknowledging that oftentimes common usage 
is not correct. Um, for example, to say that hope is an optimistic state of mind, I think, is not really quite biblical. We see this also with other words, words like faith, which has come to mean so many different things, uh, and oftentimes things quite different from what we find in Scripture. It's also true of love. People have redefined and twisted love to mean, in many ways, the opposite of what God intends. That's the first thing. Let's go by scripture, not by what common usage is. Secondly, we need to recognize and realize that hope is not a New Testament word or concept. I think we may be tempted to think that. But in reality, if we want to understand what hope is, we must begin in the Old Testament. And what do we find in the Old Testament with regard to hope? Well, hope is closely related, if in fact not tied to the character of God. What we find in the Old Testament is those that hope in God, trust God, and they trust his promises that he will keep them. As we read in the prayer of confession today, he alone is our hope. And because God is the hope of the righteous, his people, they can expect good things from him. They wait patiently for his help and deliverance. This patient hope is rooted in the past, the history, the story, the narrative of what God had done for his people in the past. In fact, if you want to know, if if something horrible happened and we lost much of the Old Testament before the book of Psalms, what we find in the book of Psalms oftentimes is that the story is retold. This is what God did back then, and we thank him and we praise him for what he has done. God keeps his promises. There may be times in the present when circumstances point to the possibility that God doesn't keep his promises. But we must trust that as he has kept his promises in the past, that at some point God will keep his promises. For those of the Old Testament, this was seen as pointing to the coming of Messiah. Okay, not all of God's promises have been kept, but one day they will be kept when the Messiah comes and the Messianic Age begins. But in some ways, we need to go back even earlier than what I've spoken about and go back to Abraham. This is what Paul does here in Romans chapter 4. You see, in a sense, Abraham did not have what the Israelites had. There is no track record. There's nothing for him to say, oh yeah, back At this point, God made a promise to so-and-so, and and he kept his promise. Abraham didn't have that. There was no narrative by which to say God keeps his promises. So what was the basis of his hope? If there is no track record, why would Abraham hope? Well, because of God's character and God's promises. So go to Romans 4, where we are, beginning in verse number uh, 18. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
Abraham's hope was rooted in his relationship with God, a personal relationship, someone that he trusted. In truth, the only ground for Abraham's hope was God's promise. There is no external evidence, if you will, there's nothing external. There is, in fact, no historical basis for him to trust God. But he does hope in God that God keeps his promises. And when his hope is tested by circumstances, human impossibilities, he's almost 100 years old, Sarah's 90 years old, his hope did not weaken, if anything, it grew, it was strengthened. This is what Paul means when he says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. So those are the two things. It's not a New Testament idea. It's very much rooted in the Old Testament. And even before the coming of the Israelites, we see with Abraham that hope is a part of his makeup. And we need to acknowledge that hope should be defined by Scripture and not by common usage. So having said that, what do we say about our hope, Christian hope? What is our view to be? Well, we need to begin with the reality that our hope is directed to the same God who fulfilled his promises to Abraham. It's not a new God. And by the way, for those who uh, in the past and even in the present see the God of the Old Testament as quite different from the God of the New Testament, uh, to take that view is to really do damage to the whole concept of hope. Abraham hoped in God. It's the same God that we put our hope in as well. But unlike Abraham, we have in fact a narrative, a record of God keeping his promises. And more than the Israelites, we have actually lived after the coming of the Messiah. They kept looking ahead, looking ahead, hoping that God would keep his promise. Well, we know that in fact he has kept his promise. He sent Jesus and he raised Jesus from the dead. And because of Jesus coming into the world, as people of God, we live in hope. I suspect that this sounds much easier than it is. The reality is that God's promises to us in Jesus Christ so often stand in contradiction to the realities around us. There may be times in our lives when our circumstances or the circumstances in the lives of others appear to scream at us or in us, God does not keep his promises. I think this is the case oftentimes when we redefine hope as desire. That I hope that this happens, I want this to happen, I desire this to happen, rather than it being something that is directed toward God, that we trust him. We want something, we hope that God will give it to us, and when he doesn't, we come to think, well, God doesn't keep his promise. He promises to me, that is open to question, but let's, he promises to me, this is something that I wanted and he didn't give it to me. Um, I don't know that I can keep my hope or my trust in God. We need to be clear about what God, in fact, has promised. God's faithfulness in the past and his promises are all directed to the future. And they are intended to give us hope. So there is a future 
Okay, this isn't, hope isn't just about where we are right now. It is directed toward the future. But there's something else. God has not only given us promises about the future, he has given us a wonderful gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit. And this is the beginning. This is sort of the down payment, what Paul calls the earnest, that God has given us. So if at some point we might think, well, God really doesn't keep his promises. Well, he's already begun to keep his promises by giving us his spirit. So after Romans 4, in Romans 5, in the first four verses, this is what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Like Abraham, we must live in hope, because our situations, our circumstances may in fact stand in direct contradiction to God's promises. Abraham had to wait 25 years for God's promise of a son to be fulfilled. For 25 years, one could say, circumstances said God's not going to keep his promise. And there may be suffering. Things may not go as we want or as we expect. And though it may be difficult to embrace hope in the midst of suffering or difficulties, we can rejoice even in our suffering. And the one thing we see with Abraham and and the people of God, you would think that suffering would kill their hope. But if anything, it strengthens their hope that God, in fact, will deliver them, perhaps not at the present time, but in the future, as we look ahead to the new creation. Our experience in living as Christians is made clear by the hope of glory. The reality of Christian hope is based on two things. First of all, the victory of Jesus over evil in the crucifixion, in his death. And secondly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in Romans 8, Paul's still talking about this. In Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who are who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we, not, we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And what are we waiting for patiently? Something we have not seen? It is the new creation. Hope ultimately is about the future. As we hope, we anticipate the future, but it isn't all later on. We bring it into the present. I mean, it guides us as we live now, as we hope for what God will do in in the future. Hope is not defined by present realities, but by God's purposes in the future. But as Paul writes, the future is never detached from where we are right now. It isn't as though we're like, 
life is terrible, we'll just wait to die and then and go to heaven. No, we have hope right now. The present is hope as it is directed toward the future. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, right now, not simply something for the future. The future that we anticipate is the completion that began in the incarnation when Jesus came into the world, when he was put to death, and when he was raised from the dead. And it continues now in us because we have the Holy Spirit. It began when Jesus came into the world, and it will continue all the way up to the end of time. And we live in that hope. The object of Christian hope is the return of Jesus. And in his return, we will see the new creation. So what do we do in the meantime, as we hope? Well, in the series on creation, we looked at two practices that are to guide us as we anticipate, as we live in hope of the new creation. Two things, presence and patience. This may sound familiar to you. It's been some time, but I wanted to go over it again. These are things that we are to do and to practice, but we can only do so by the grace of God. To be present in a world of evil is to follow Jesus, the word who became flesh, who promised he would never leave us, who said he would be with us to the end of the age. See, the incarnation isn't something new. It isn't a new disposition of God somehow. Oh, yes, I forgot about the human race. I need to do something about it. It is a new way of God being present. It is God in the flesh. It is Emmanuel, God with us. See, God has always been with us. He sought out the first humans in the garden after they sinned. He called Abram, said, made promises that from him would come many nations. It is the God who appears to Moses, who comes and delivers Israel out of slavery. God has always been present, but when Jesus comes into the world in a unique way, in a special way, God is present in the midst of evil. That's the beginning, and it will be consummated, it will be completed when Jesus returns. God is always with us. We need to know that. There are times when I suspect we would rather be absent from this world than to be present with its inhabitants. But we need to think of Jesus. I think the temptations of Satan uh, spoke to uh, the things that we, I think we would like, we would rather not go through difficulties. We'd rather eat than starve. Um, We want someone to be with us anytime we stumble and fall. And we'd rather take a shortcut. And in fact, this, this is not what Jesus did. He came and was present among us. And I think we are to do the same thing. And we are to be patient. See, I think if we could be present but impatient, I think I can do that. Or if I can be absent and patient, I think I can do that. But to be present and patient in hope is something altogether differently.
God is a God of patience. We see that God took great, well, much longer than I would have, I think, to bring the Messiah. I mean, why, why isn't Eve's firstborn son Jesus, the Messiah? Why is it that it is Cain who becomes the first murderer? And the story goes on and on for thousands of years. And God is patient with his people, waiting for the time of the Messiah. God continues to work patiently in our lives. But we are to be patient as well. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are to be passive. It doesn't mean we're to be fatalistic and just say, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. It doesn't mean that we are to withdraw. Again, there is to be presence along with patience. The same God who is patient is the one who became flesh and lived among us, the one who proclaims healing, and the one who denounces injustice. The key to the practices of presence and patience is to locate ourselves in the story of God's redemption that is going to end with a new creation. We need to remember that God is still redeeming us. He is still working by his grace in our lives and that we are being redeemed. We have not arrived. I think part of the problem we have is we don't see ourselves in the story of God's redemption. We tend to see ourselves in the story of a broken world. We seem to focus more on brokenness than we do on God's redeeming work. Part of that's because we haven't arrived, because we are broken, and, and we are painfully aware of that from time to time. But the reality is, God has made promises, we trust God, we hope in God, and he is taking us, we are part of the story, as he heads to the future, to the new creation. Paul wrote in Romans 12, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing instant in prayer. There are at least two prayers I should mention with regard to presence and patience and hope. The first is found in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Are you going to keep your promises? How long? And then at the end of scripture in Revelation 22:20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. These two prayers represent the two prayers that Christians pray in the midst of a fallen world as we learn to live in hope as God is redeeming creation. How long? This is a lament of people who live in a broken world. And it forces us to direct our doubts, our prayers, our struggles, our anxieties, our failures, our frenzies toward God. We ascribe to God the responsibility to act. 
and we take away from the world the power that we imagine it has over us. We are to see the brokenness of the world within the story of redemption. So our lament, if you wish, how long, should not be centered in the world or in humanity or in ourselves, but on God. How long will God not do something as we think he should? God alone brings life in the midst of death. God alone brings evil to account without doing evil. And he alone changes the world, not just for the better, but the new creation through Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, this prayer at the end of Scripture is the prayer of hope. It reminds us that in the midst of the fallen world and the rule of death, we are going to something far greater, the redemption of creation for the new creation. That's where it's all going. That is what hope is about. It isn't like, I hope I get this. Or hope this happens. It is pointed toward God and the promises he has made of the coming world. When we pray, come Lord Jesus, we are in fact praying the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we say with the prayer, come Lord Jesus. I mentioned earlier several dictionary definitions for hope. Here's one I did not mention. I think it applies. Someone or something on which hopes are centered. Again from Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself or to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. See, hope is not primarily about the present and our present circumstances. And I think that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If this is it, then suddenly our hope is, is not what God intends. And in fact, we should be pitied. We live in hope, but it's looking ahead. It's looking ahead. But we can walk with confidence through suffering, through difficulties, through craziness, we can walk in hope because God has made promises. We should not lose hope when things don't go as we want or expect. I heard someone say recently of the spread of Christianity in the third world. The Christian faith is exploding in the third world. That some people are two unanswered prayers away from going back to the old religion. Going back to animism. Two unanswered prayers. Like, I thought God was going to do this. I thought Christian hope was, I pray and then God gives it to me. He hasn't given, I've prayed twice, I haven't got these things, I'm just going to go back to the old ways. I wonder how far away we are from that. 
we need to take care. First, we need to understand what hope is. Second, we need to know who our hope is centered on. Thirdly, we need to have a sense of looking to the future. And lastly, in the present time, as we go through difficulties, as we suffer, we are to continue in hope. Let's pray together. Our Father, as is so often the case, we take your word and we make it our words. We, we change what they mean. And perhaps we haven't done it, but those before us or the culture around us. And so something as deep and as precious as hope has simply come to mean desire. That we hope for good things rather than our hope is in you a God who keeps his promises. As various ones go through difficult times, suffering, sickness, may we continue to trust you and know that this is not the whole story that you have made promises and one day you will bring us to be with yourself in the new creation. As we go through difficult times, may our hope increase, may it deepen. May we be like our father Abraham, who against hope continued to hope. I ask that in the coming days this would be fuel for meditation. Think these things through. And more than that, put them into action and be people of hope. I thank you for bringing us together today, the first day of a new week, to worship you as a congregation. That we can speak to one another of needs, of matters of thanksgiving. We do remember Rory on the production that opens this Saturday. Watch over her and the cast. And for the other things that have been mentioned, we commit them to you. For Jason and Gwen as they travel. May we remember to hold each other up in prayer in the coming days. Now as we leave this place, may your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.